Well, let's pray together this morning before we take a look at our final study in the Word on the humanity of Christ for this Advent season. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the things that we've been learning. We have learned more of Christ. And it has given us greater cause to trust Him and to praise Him and to love Him and follow Him. Father, show us more even this morning. And may our eyes be taken away from ourselves to be fixed on the person of Christ in, in His perfect humanity and what He accomplished in our behalf for Your glory. We pray that You would convict us and comfort us and work Your will, we pray in the name of Jesus, the Son. Amen. As I said, this Advent season, we have been studying and rejoicing in the humanity of Christ. Most of the time, we talk about His deity, and that's a good thing, but sometimes to the neglect of His humanity. What did Christ accomplish for us in His humanity? We've looked so far at the beginning of Christ's humanity, which is His virgin birth. We also have noticed in that that God was clearly communicating to us that salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Uh, Secondly, we looked at the experience of Christ's humanity, that it was a real body that was prepared for Him and, and a real human spirit, and that He endured real temptations, real suffering. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, endured all of that. And so He's become for us a sympathetic and powerful high priest, interceding for us, reigning in us, doing His work in our behalf for His Father's glory. On Christmas Eve, we looked at the necessity of Christ's humanity. and Of course, there's lots of reasons that could fill out that heading. But we looked specifically at how Jesus Christ fulfilled all of the covenant requirements that God has placed upon humanity, and He filled those in our behalf. He was a man who lived a righteous life in our place, and He was a man who died an atoning death in our place. So finally this morning, I want to look at the consummation of Christ's humanity. And by consummation, please don't be confused about this, I do not mean that His humanity is coming to an end, because Christ is the God-man forever. And that's an amazing thing. Think about that, dear ones. And there's, there's so much that we can draw from this as we study this through Scripture. But that the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, chose in eternity to become a man in time. And He took on human nature. So as the one person Christ has two natures, a, a real divine nature and a real human nature, and He will remain in that human nature forever. That is really something to think about, that He would so take on our humanity to be our Savior, to be our High Priest, and remain in that place forever. So that even, think about this, when we go to heaven, we will see Him. If He didn't have a human nature, can we see God? John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is, or the unique God that is at the Father's side, which is the Son, He has made Him known. He explains Him to us. And so, when we get to be with Him forever, this is part of the joy of our salvation that we will see God in Christ. Like the conversation that Jesus had with Thomas. Well, show us the Father before you go. And what was Jesus' answer? Have you been so long with me, Thomas, that you don't know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what a glorious thing to know that when we get to heaven, there will be no disappointments, including... We will see God in the person of Christ, the man. Oh, what a wonderful anticipation we have in this. So, I don't mean that his humanity will come to an end when I talk about his consummation, but that he will be forever the Godman. What I mean is that he will, I want to talk this morning about the final achievements of his humanity. You realize in some ways that the work of Christ the man is still in process as he is unfolding the redemptive plans of God. There's more that's going to happen. Let me, let me introduce it to you this way. Do you ever wonder, as you read the Scriptures, why some sections of Scripture say that Christ 
rules over all. And other sections of Scripture say that Christ has yet to conquer all of his enemies. Have you seen that interesting apparent paradox? He rules over all, and yet some of his enemies have yet to be put under his feet. For example, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When I look at these three verses, I think, wait, God the Father exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name? So that then it looks like there's something that's going to yet happen in the future that every knee should bow and every tongue confess. Well, I thought that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, already was exalted to the highest place. Well, why is it that He was exalted then? And the answer to this is that in His deity, He is God of all. But it is humanity. He had yet to be exalted to this high place following his life as a human being, his obedience, his suffering, his death, his ascension. And as a man, as the man, Christ Jesus, our our covenant representative, he has yet to have all tongues confess that he is Lord, whether in submission with joy or in submission with hatred. Here's another example. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. I thought Jesus, the eternal son, has all of his enemies under feet. He does. But as a man, as the figurehead of the new covenant, as the man in our place, he has yet to put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death for his people. And as I said, I believe the answer is that Christ in His deity is God and is Lord of all creation, but Christ as a man lived, died, rose, ascended, and was given a place of lordship that He in His humanity did not previously possess. And Christ as a man is interceding for His church, and as a man is coming again and will triumph over all of His enemies. It's not like this is contingent though. Don't think that. No, this is, this is certain in the eternal redemptive plan of the Father, of the Trinity, for, from all of eternity. But these, some of these things have yet to happen in time. He is going to triumph over His enemies as a man and will inherit from His Father the new heavens and the new earth as the perfect man. And one of the astounding aspects of Christ's triumph and inheritance, listen, is that all who are in Christ, His redeemed people, will triumph and inherit all things in Him. This is what the man, Christ Jesus, will accomplish in the glorious future that awaits us. This is why we are called fellow heirs with Christ. He, as our covenant representative, will inherit the earth the new heaven and new earth, and we will inherit it all in Him. So this morning, as we think on the consummation of Christ's humanity, again, let your understanding of Christ's humanity in His conquest, in His consummation of all things, lead you to worship Him with your trust, with your love, your obedience, your praise. Two points this morning, and I have a bunch of Scripture to share with you. So many of these we could just dig in so more deeply, but I want to give you a little bit of just a theological overview of this, and and may your heart rejoice with me in these things. Number one, your outline is in your bulletin. If you'd like to follow along there, number one, Christ the man is our eternal mediator. Christ the man is our eternal mediator. 
because of the powerful accomplishments of Christ in his, in his manhood, he has become, we talked about this a few Sunday or last Sunday, he has become our sympathetic and faithful high priest who will keep us. All who are in Christ, he will keep, he will advance us in our sanctification and in, in the redemptive process of God's work in our lives, and he will complete us. And He will complete us for the glory of God. If you're in Christ by grace through faith in Him alone, you will not miss out on any part of Christ's saving work in your life. Your salvation, past, present, future, is all in the perfect care of our sympathetic and faithful, powerful High Priest. Think of it this way, dear ones. And this is... We talk about the union that we have with Christ, and that can be somewhat of a difficult theme to get our minds around in Scripture because it's such an invisible spiritual thing. But think of it this way. The certainty, the progress, and the completion of our salvation is bound up, unbreakably bound up, with the certainty the progress and the triumph of Christ's life and redemptive work as a man. He, the perfect one, brings us in union with Himself through the Spirit and we enjoy His work in us. Let me show you what I mean. Hebrews 6, 13-20 For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to whom to swear, he swore, by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. When God made promises to Abraham, Abraham wondered, God, are you really going to bring all this about? And God said, yes, I am. I will bring this about. And God proved that He would, right? By, by walking through the animals that were sliced in half, saying, if I don't keep my promises to you, Abraham, may it be to me as these animals. It's impossible for God to do two things at least, right? It's impossible for God to die. And it's impossible for God to what? To lie. And God kept His promise. Well, how do we know that God will keep His promise to us? And you know, every believer wrestles with this at some point in their life. Will I make it? Will I get through? Will I enter the, the, the presence of God? And you know what? We have to look at Christ. And in this text, it says we have a sure, steadfast anchor of, this whole, of the soul. Our hope has already entered into the holy place of heaven. Who is our anchor? It's Christ. And He calls Him here a forerunner. He's already run the race for us. And in Him, we will run the same course. And because of Him. It is certain He has already finished all of the work as a man in His perfect life in death and resurrection. And now He's going to bring us with Him. Christ, our mediator, will accomplish all His purposes. If, if, if you're in Christ, this is true for you. Look at what it says here. Again, the, the, all these verses reinforce this point that Christ the man is our mediator. We will be saved and kept and completed. 
Hebrews 7, 22-25, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The, why is Jesus' covenant, this new covenant, so much better? Well, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But He, Jesus, holds His priesthood permanently. This God-man holds the priesthood interceding, mediating for us permanently because even as a man, He continues forever. So as a result, He is able to do what? Save us to the uttermost. Isn't, aren't those four words just precious? Save us to the uttermost. So many places left in our life that are just so frustrating and overwhelming and discouraging. And you can know by Christ, because He is our foreigner, He is our anchor in the heavens, He will save us to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through Him, He always lives to make intercession for us. And this is the message, again, pointing to Christ's intercession as this mediator. This is what He's doing now as a man at the right hand of God for His people. What do we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all? How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge? against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God who is interceding for us. He is interceding for us. He is holding us and keeping us and reigning in us. And what's the result of that? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Who shall? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Danger? Sword? No. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's what life feels like sometimes. No. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We will be kept, we will be loved, and no matter what God ordains to enter into our lives, we will be victorious. Why? Because Christ died. Christ was raised. Christ is at the right hand of God who is interceding for us. Here's another text. Look at what it calls Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That is assuring, isn't it? Christ is the one who births faith in us, and He is the one who will perfect our faith. Christ is everything to us. And He, He is the one who already endured the race set before us. We have but to look to Him. And He endured the cross. And He is now what? Seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, what, are, uh, what ought we to expect our life to be like now that Christ is raised and seated and reigning over us and interceding for us? What is our life like? Our life looks, begins to look something like Christ's life. A life of suffering. A life of discipline. Right? And that's what you see in the following verses. And Christ endured hostility so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Sometimes I get to complaining about the weight of the discipline or trial that God may send me, and then I ask myself the question of verse 4. Have you ever resisted the point of shedding your blood yet? You're like, nah, not even close. Right? But Christ ran this course for me, and now I'm called a son, and you who are in Christ are called sons and daughters. And so we, we don't need to lightly regard the discipline of the Lord, or even, God help me not to get weary when I'm reproved by Him. See, Christ is working in us. 
from heavenly places through the Spirit. Yes, loving us, chastening us. The Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastens every son whom He receives. It's for discipline that we endure. God is treating us as sons. What son is there whom His Father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all participated, you're illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Christ from heavenly places is orchestrating this progress in us, and He will accomplish it. Yes, it's painful now, but it will yield righteousness. We will be prepared for glorification. 1 John 2, 1 and 2, here's, here's the ascended, risen, interceding Christ. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone does not sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And and that, His name is Jesus Christ the righteous. He is two things for us, right? You see the necessity of Christ's humanity being righteousness for us and propitiation. You see those two things here being the continuing statement of His mediation, of His intercessory work. Before God, he, he continues to plead His righteousness for us and His propitiation. He is the appeasement of, our, of wrath that we deserve for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is our righteous advocate. He is our propitiation. He is interceding for us. And, and this final text on, on point one, what does Jesus pray for us? Well, how does he, what does He ask for? What is His intercessory requests? You see them here in John 17. I'm praying for them. Notice how Jesus says this. I'm praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom You have given Me, for they are Yours. Father, all mine are Yours. Jesus is praying for those whom the Father has given to the Son for salvation. All mine are yours, yours are mine. I am glorified in them. I'm no longer into the world, but they're in the world, and I am coming to you. Here's, here's his prayer request. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. Keep them in the protection of your mighty, glorious character, which you've given to me, that they may be one even as, I, as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the Son of Destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus is praying to the Father even now in His humanity, keep them. Keep them. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. This is, this is what Jesus is praying. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Here's another request. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Keep them, Father. Sanctify them on the basis of my righteousness and my atoning work. Do your work of redemption in them. You have given them to me. Yes, Jesus is praying these things and they will be answered. You sent me into the world, and so I have sent them into the world. For their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. You see, Jesus is the forerunner of our redemptive process. And because He's been successful, we will be too. We will be kept. We will be sanctified. And I don't ask for these only, and He was speaking specifically there of His twelve, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word. Who's that? That's everyone else. Who would come to Christ in the, in the days ahead? Those who would hear the gospel and trust in Christ. That they may be one. Father, make them one. Make, make them one with us. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The, world that you, the, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. And that they may become one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Wow. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me 
So make them one. I want them to become one with us and that they may be with me where I am. Keep them. Sanctify them. Make them one. Bring them to be with me so that they would see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you've sent me. And I make known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And I always like to, to tell myself after I read these prayers, do any of Jesus' prayers contradict with the will of the Father? Do any of Jesus' prayers receive a no answer? All of these will be said, yes. I will keep them. I will sanctify them. I will make them one. I will bring them to be with you, to see your glory, and to enjoy my love forever. Think of this, dear ones. This, this, is, the, this is the ministry of Christ right now for you. And it is powerful. He stands at the right hand of God as a man. Do you ever struggle and wonder if you will make it to the eternal joys of heaven? Look to Christ. Look to the intercessory work of Christ the God-man who is your forerunner and anchor in the heavens. That's the point of this. Turn away from any self-trust. You will not enjoy the eternal joys of heaven because of you or, or your ability to hold on to Christ, but because of His ability to faithfully hold on to you and bring you home. That's the good news. Because of his perfection as a true man. Because he was triumphant through obedience and temptation and suffering and death and resurrection. He's now ascended the place of Lord of Lords. He has been coronated as King of Kings. He has become the foreigner for his people. Blazing the trail to God before them. He is successfully accomplishing the redemptive plans of the Father. And he is saving to the uttermost all those who are in him. It's true for you if you're in Christ. He's interceding for you. He's reigning over you. He's keeping you. He's sanctifying you. He's strengthening you. He'll complete you. Praise the God. Now finally, in, in the completion of our salvation, what inheritance will be ours? Because of the triumph of the man Christ Jesus. Because of the success of his reign right now. Because of the success of his intercession. What's coming? What's coming? You know, it would be grace beyond grace, dear ones, for us just to be rescued from hell and given like a shack somewhere. You know? Forever. That would be grace upon grace. It would be grace just to be rescued from hell and forgiven of sin. But that's not all. We're made righteous. And as if that were not enough, we're called children of God. And then we're indwelt by the Spirit on top of that. We're gifted as His church. We're employed as His servants and ambassadors. And then we're rewarded with an inheritance. God is not fair. He is gracious. Right? Fellow heirs with Christ. Can you believe your ears? Fellow heirs with Christ. In Christ we get to enjoy for all of eternity what? Listen, what we lost in Adam because of our sin. How is that possible? Because, number two, Christ the man is our eternal fellow heir. This is astounding. I want you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 8. I'm going to give you a quick context of what we've already talked about with just two Psalms. You've got to see this. Psalm 8. This is such a well-known psalm, but 
you got to notice what David is, is saying here. It's writing. Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. You have set Your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes, babies and infants, You have established strength because of Your foes. Distill still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at Your heavens, the work of Your fingers, the moon, the stars, which You have set in place, what is man? That You're mindful of Him and the Son of Man that You care for Him. Look carefully at verse 5. Yet You have made Him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned Him with glory and honor. You have given Him dominion over the works of Your hands. You have put all things under His feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Okay, David is certainly celebrating the creation of God. And then he looks at the creation of man, verse 5 and 6 and 7 and 8. And you look at that, and, and who, is, who is David talking about there? He's talking about you and I. He's talking about mankind. We were set by God, having been created in His image, on the earth, to have dominion over the works of God's hands. We were to enjoy all that God created and be His representatives in the earth and establish His glory and, and expand His kingdom by all that He provided so graciously. And when you look at those and you say, something's wrong. right? That's not the experience I'm experiencing. But what happened? We lost it. We, lo- we lost the kind of position and dominion in the earth that we were meant to have as human beings made in the image of God. Adam lost it. And we lost it in him. And we continue to follow in that, in that pathway. But that's not the end of the story, right? Because then came the man Christ Jesus. And he didn't lose it. And he, he triumphed perfectly. And Jesus is really the man here as well who is going to and has demonstrated his perfection in, in passing all the tests the Father gave to him. And he has dominion like this. And he is going to have dominion like this over the new heavens and the new earth. And he's going to bring us with him to enjoy that reinstatement of all that the God had planned for us as His image bearers. Look at the other end of the story. Psalm 110. This is the other Psalm I wanted to share with you. Look, look at this testimony of, of the dominion of Christ. Psalm 8 tells us what we were to have and lost because of sin, and yet it anticipates the conquests of Christ. And Psalm 110 says it so, so clearly. Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord says to my Lord, My God, Yahweh, says to David's Lord, the Messiah, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That is a process that God is working in time to conquer all, all those who are not experiencing and enjoying the reign of the Son. The Lord sends forth from Zion, your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook. By the way, therefore, He will lift up His head. Christ will reign. And we'll get to enjoy that reign with Him. First of all, letter A, let's look at just some some of the aspects of this reign that Christ is entering into as as the God-man, the man who fulfilled all that God had planned for Him. First, in Him, we will inherit a body like His. This is coming for us, dear ones. 
Philippians 3, 20 and 21, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body. We have lowly bodies, don't we? We sure do. But He's going to transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Body to enjoy all that God has planned for us and survive it (laughs) by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. This, This is Christ at work in His humanity as our intercessor. He is going, is your citizenship in heaven? Think of that. If if that's true, then the rest of these verses are true for you too. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body as he subjects all things to himself. Another text that talks about this, 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 49. But some will ask, how are the dead raised? Right? The, The skeptic asks Paul, how are the dead raised? Yeah, tell me how that's going to work. With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. I love this text. The the skeptic asks Paul, prove that you're going to get a new body someday. Prove there's a resurrection. And Paul says, look all around you. Look all around you. We always take these little seeds and put them in the ground and water them and drown them and they die and then life comes from them. And what you put in the seed is nothing like what's coming out of the ground. That's resurrection all over the place. God gives it a body as He has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. Heavenly bodies, earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The the last Adam, that's Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the natural that is first, but the not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is good news. You have so much to look forward to in Christ. He became a man and is that eternal man. And you will become like him if you are in Christ. The second point that I want to share with you under this, not just that in Him we will inherit a body like His, an eternal body, but letter B, that's our final point. In Him, we will inherit the eternal kingdom. I'm going to skip some of these passages. You can look them up at home. Hebrews 1, you go through and you talk, and it talks about the humanity of Christ, where, where, where Jesus Christ was given a body as a man, took on flesh, and became superior in all things He inherits, and we in Him. Look at this text of Christ's power. What is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
and he has put all things under his feet. That's that Psalm 8 man who has dominion over all things, including the age that is to come, the new heaven and new earth. And he gave him as the head over all things to his church. He's going to bring us into this too, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we're what? Heirs. Heirs of God. Fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. 1 Corinthians 15, 20-28 But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that's Adam, right? By a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. That's Christ. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But look at this. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. The man Christ Jesus, risen from the dead. And then, at his coming, those who belong to Christ will be made alive. Then comes the end. When Jesus Christ will deliver the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Have you ever known a man to do something like that? There's only one man that can do that. That's Jesus Christ, the God-man. For He must reign. Christ must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under His feet, but when He says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that He is accepted who put all things in subjection under Him. All things are subjected to Christ except for God the Father. That's what He's saying. And then, when all things are subjected to Christ, that day that's coming, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to Him who put all things in subjection under Him that God may be all in all. That is the day we're waiting for when we experience the glory of God in that way that God may be all in all. It was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come of which we're speaking. Hebrews 2, 10 through 5, 5 through 10. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? See, he's referring to Psalm 8. You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjective under his feet. Now that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. Now in putting everything in subjection unto him, he left nothing outside of his control. Wow, he's talking about Christ now. But look at this phrase. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Do you see what he's saying? He's like, man, we, we know this is true. Christ is Lord of all. He is interceding, reigning, unfolding as Father's redemptive plans, but it doesn't, I don't see this. Looks like the world is out of control, filled with evil and growing worse every day. At present, we don't see everything in subjection to Him, but don't be deceived by what your eyes tell you. We do see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it is fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This this isn't over. Christ the man was brought low for a time, and in so doing, fulfilled all of God's redemptive purposes And He is going to bring us into the experience of Romans 8 in the new heavens and the new earth when all will be subjected to Him and we will inherit this with Him. Here's the end. 2 Peter 3, 13-15 But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in Him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul, 
also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Aren't we heirs of amazing grace through Christ, through the man Christ Jesus? We have an ever-living mediator who intercedes for us and reigns in us, Jesus the God-man. We have a conquering fellow heir who will bring us into his triumphant joy forever. And what shall we say to these things? I love that question in Romans 8. What do we say to these things? What ought to be our response to these things? Peter gives us a wonderful response here. Beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. You see, just because all of this is secured in Christ and he is triumphant and powerful doesn't mean we just be like, all right, well, I don't really care about much. Now I'm just going to, you know, wait and see what happens. No. Be diligent, dear ones. You have been bought with a price and you are in Christ and you will be glorious in this process. God will see to it for his glory. But right now, you be diligent in the strength that God provides to be found by Him without spot or blemish. Right? Pursuing holiness. Pursue what Christ is going to accomplish in you. And at peace with one another. Remember what Jesus prayed for in John 17? That we would be one. It's interesting what Peter chooses to point out as what we're pursuing at the final moment of his letter here. Pursue holiness. Pursue unity as brothers and sisters in Christ. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. What does that mean? Don't count the time that we have here as just an opportunity to spend ourselves in the things of the world uselessly. Every moment that we have between now and the second coming of Christ is an opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, we're not, here to, we're not here to just mess around, right? We're not here, you know, we get so caught up in so many earthly things. And we're here to tell people, get in the lifeboat. Come to Christ. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the perfect man who is going to bring all things back into unity with himself and, and, and in, under his dominion. And it's going to be great. Come to Christ. Count this patience as salvation. How faithful is our God. And we have to see it. You know, it's, it's like waiting for your relatives to come on Christmas Day. Just look back behind the curtain. Are they here yet? Are they here yet? Everything's excited. Everything's ready. And Christ is coming. And oh, what glory He is going to bring with Him. Galatians 5.29 says, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. Let your understanding of Christ's humanity lead you to worship Him by your trust, your love, your obedience, and your praise. But let me say one more thing before we pray. If you are not in Christ yet, hear this, dear friend. Hear this. If you do not know that you are forgiven, that you are in Christ, you can also become an heir by faith. Look at this. This mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, right? People that were pagan like us, fellow heirs, we can, we can become fellow heirs. We can become members of the same body called the church, partakers of the promise in Christ. How do I do that? Through the gospel. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? Here it is. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become what? Heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The Gospel is that God, our Savior, appeared in the person of Christ as a man. And He lived a perfect life so that 
you do not need to try to work hard enough to please God because you can't anyway. But Jesus did. And He will give you His righteousness if you'll receive it by faith. And His cross where He absorbed the guilt of our sin and the punishment we deserve, that will be for you if you will trust in Christ by faith. And He will put His Holy Spirit within you so that you will be justified, made right before God, and then you too can become an heir according to the hope of eternal life. The alternative is horrific. And there's only two places in eternity, right? Either with Christ, the new heaven, new earth, or apart from Christ under the wrath of God forever. I urge you, be reconciled to God. And you can enjoy all that Christ has done as well. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, I think of the words of Paul, eye has not seen, ears have not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the glorious things that you have prepared for those who love you. And, and you know what, Father? It's, it's amazing that you have made us to love you. We don't love you naturally. Naturally, we're at enmity with you, but you've changed our hearts. You've granted us salvation. You've given us grace upon grace through Jesus Christ. And we're rejoicing in Him today. We have the God-man as our mediator and eternal fellow heir. Father, help us as Your people to, to be diligent to pursue holiness by Your strength and, and to pursue unity with one another and to pursue those whom You have chosen to save by grace through faith alone. Father, may we proclaim the gospel broadly and diligently. And I pray for the one here this morning or whoever is here this morning that, that doesn't know You, that's not in Christ and enjoying this grace. Father, open their eyes just like You did us. Regenerate them as You did us. And help them to see that they cannot trust in themselves to make it to you. There's no possible way that, that will work. And it's even offensive to you, Father, for you have done all things through Christ, your King, whom you have set in Zion. Pray that you would open their eyes, grant them faith, give them righteousness. Let Christ's atonement be for them. May your will be done in your glory. Be exalted. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.